to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. I have met many people who I do believe are Christians, and there's no doubt in my mind that there's been a genuine connection with the Lord, but at the same time, there's all kinds of little compromises in their life, and they're in the process of of reaping that corruption, and it's a sad thing. Saved, yes, but a wasted life. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Genesis. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Genesis chapters 13 through 19 in a message titled, Lessons from Lot. Now here's Pastor Brian. And on the one hand, you're compromised, you're, you know, partying on the weekends, you're talking about that kind of stuff when you come back to work, people know what you do go to church and all, you know, you you have some sort of identity as some sort of a Christian anyway, but people can see that there's a lot of inconsistency. You know, whenever you try to get serious with them about the Lord, they just, they can't hear it. They're not going to hear it. Because it's our life. Our life is going to be the thing that gives power to what we proclaim. It's, it's, our lives are going to be part of the attraction that will draw people to, to listen to the truth. Paul, in writing to Titus, he speaks about good works. He refers to them as adorning the gospel. The good works adorn the gospel. Just as you would, you know, put some sort of ornament on, you know, something to, to adorn it. And so when we're living, when we're practicing what we preach, when we're living the lifestyle, it enhances a person's opportunity to receive from us. Because they say, you know, this person, they're living it. They're not just saying it. I don't know if you've had the experience, but I certainly have over the years, seen so many people who, you know, could talk the talk and show up at church and, you know, come on to the job site or there and tell everybody, you know, praise the Lord and all that sort of thing. And then turn around and cuss people out, turn around and rip people off. And boy, that is just such a a sad and tragic thing. That's pretty much where Lot was at. So when he comes with an urgent message and he comes with a message that's actually legitimate, there is a judgment coming, nobody can hear what he says. It seems to be a joke. Lot subjected his family to ungodliness and he paid a heavy price. And as we pointed out previously, we have to think, especially those of us who are the heads of families, the heads of households, We have to always be thinking, you know, what are my actions? How are my actions going to impact other people? Because they will. Now, I'm just guessing, but, you know, I don't think Lot really thought any of this through. I don't think he really thought so much about his children when he made this decision. He might not have even thought so much about his wife. Maybe he did. Maybe they both decided that that's what they wanted to do. But did he look at his children? Did he think about the, the environment that he was going to bring them into? Did he think about the, 
the devastating moral effect it might have on them? Probably not. And a lot of times that's what happens. We don't really think it through. We don't think through all of the ramifications of our actions. We see this over and over again. And so Lot subjected his family to ungodliness and remembered the price that he paid. His daughters and his son-in-laws, they perished in the judgment of Sodom. His wife, as you remember, looked back longingly toward Sodom and she became a pillar of salt. She perished. His two younger daughters who survived, you remember that story of how they seduced their father and were impregnated through him, and you see the corruption that they picked up, no doubt, in Sodom. And we have to ask ourselves questions like, how are we influencing our families? What are we subjecting our families to? Are we subjecting them to things that we think are relatively innocent and, you know, this isn't really a problem, but yet it could become a problem. Alcohol. You know, we were at a restaurant the other day, and Cheryl and I, we saw a couple of young families there, two couples. There they were with their little children. And they were eating there at the restaurant, and they were talking about the church service they'd come from. They were talking about the lesson. They were talking about the Sunday school that the kids had attended that day. And at the same time, they were guzzling down various alcoholic beverages. Now, I don't want to be real hard-nosed about that sort of a thing. And, of course, you know, each person needs to come to a conviction before God in regard to these kinds of things. But when you just think of it in terms of wisdom, you know, what does that do? What kind of a model does that put forth for the children? See, we too easily say, oh, this is no big deal. You know, this, my kids will never be affected by any of this. But hey, you start listening to the stories of people who are uh, addicted to alcohol. And oftentimes you find out that it started when they were young. I remember when I was a, a boy and, you know, going over to the house of my friends and their parents had a cupboard full of alcohol and they would go away and, well, we'd break into the cupboard and drink the alcohol. And I know I wasn't the only kid that was doing that. And of course, that thing's happening today. And so my question is not, do you have liberty to have a drink with your meal? That's, to me, that's really not the question. The question is, you know, do I really need to do this? And, and what about the, the potential danger? What about what I might do to somebody else? How I might stumble another, a little one? You see, to me, it's too big of a risk. I don't even want to risk it. And why bother? Drink a Coke. You know, have a 7-Up or, you know, what, whatever. I mean, you know, I, I've, I've drunk plenty of alcohol in my life. I don't know what the big attraction is, honestly. To me, it seems it's, you know, a lot of it's just more of an image than anything else because most of the stuff just tastes terrible. <laughs> I can think of a lot <laughs> better tasting drinks that aren't uh, alcoholic. 
But these are the things. How are we influencing our family? What about drugs? Now, of course, I'm addressing a congregation full of Christians. Nobody has these problems, right? (laughs) You would hope that that would be the case, but unfortunately, sadly, it's not. Because we hear stories about this kind of thing all the time. But again, what are we subjecting our families to? Do we realize the price that will be paid if this kind of sowing to the flesh goes on? Because when we sow to the flesh, there is always going to be that reaping. What about the internet and cable? Unmonitored. Boy, how many kids have gotten into some horrible, horrible things through no parental supervision with cable and with the internet. I've heard of a number of kids getting into all kinds of perverted sexuality through the internet. There they are, unsupervised, unmonitored, and they go on and, you know, of course, today you don't even have to go look for stuff. They'll send it to you. And suddenly you've got a pornographic image there on your screen. And what does a 10, 12, 14-year-old kid do with that? They you know, they follow it. Well, I wonder what this is. And what if I click on this? And, and then what happens? And we as adults, oh, well, I don't have a problem with that. Oh, I can handle that. So let's bring in the cable. Let's get the dish up there on the roof. And let's, you know, pipe in everything we can possibly get into the home. But with no supervision, we are setting our children up for a major fall. You see, these are the things that we've got to think about. You might say, well, you know, what am I going to do without cable? You know, ESPN, I got to watch the game. Read the paper. Find out what the score was. (laughs) I'm not saying, obviously, you can't have internet or you can't have cable, but look, are we... Are we being wise? Are we monitoring this? Are we conscious of the fact that there's potential? You know, we're potentially bringing some seriously destructive stuff into our homes. We have to be careful about these things. How are you influencing your family? Is, is your home, is the emphasis there in the environment materialistic? We teaching kids that it's all about money and it's all about getting things. And so they're growing up just with that sense of it's all about the material. Are we setting spiritual goals? And do we have a spiritual atmosphere in our homes? Perhaps it's an environment of hatred slander, bitterness. You see, these are the things we have to, all of us have to take this into consideration. Lot, tragically, sadly, evidently, didn't think about any of this stuff. And he ends up losing it all. I can only imagine how Lot must have felt. Someone put it like this. Wretched indeed must have been the closing days of Lot, cowering in a cave, stripped of all his earthly possessions, his daughters and son-in-law destroyed in Sodom, his wife turned to a pillar of salt, and he left face to face with his own awful sin. 
You see, the thing is, we, again, as we go into these things or as we drift into them or as we sort of meander into them, not being careful, we're failing to see where it's going to go. And then we see it. I've seen it. The pastors see it. When we have the woman in the office in the fetal position weeping over the destruction of her marriage. When we have the children going off into all kinds of sin because the parents failed to set the example and were hypocrites in the home. We see it over and over and over again. We, we've got to look down the road. We've got to realize again what Lot failed to take into consideration. If I sow to the flesh here, I will reap corruption here. That's what Lot did. He sowed to the flesh. He reaped corruption. Was Lot saved? We talked about that initially. Was he saved? Yes, but by the skin of his teeth. He was saved by the skin of his teeth. He was a man who, if you use the analogy from Paul in 1 Corinthians 3, he was the man who built on the foundation with wood, hay, and stubble. Remember Paul said, as a wise master builder, I laid the foundation, but others are going to build on it. The foundation being Jesus Christ. There's no other foundation that anyone can lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. But he said, take heed how you build on that foundation. And every one of us who are believers, we're building on the foundation of Christ. We're building a spiritual house. Well, that's what we're supposed to be building. And God has supplied us with gold, silver, and precious stones. He's, he's supplied us with his word and wisdom from his word. He supplied us with the spirit and the energy and the direction and all that of his spirit. But some people are building with wood, hay, and stubble. And what's going to happen, Paul tells us on that day, all of this stuff is going to be tested by fire. And the wood, hay, and stubble, of course, is going to be consumed. And then he adds... He shall be saved, but as though through fire. I have met many people who I do believe are Christians. I've listened to their testimony. I've heard their story. I've observed them to some extent. And there's no doubt in my mind that there's been a genuine you know, connection with the Lord. But at the same time, there's all kinds of little compromises in their life. And they're in the process of, of reaping that corruption. And it's a sad thing. Saved, yes, but by the skin of their teeth. Lot's life could be summed up in one phrase. A saved soul, but a wasted life. A saved soul, but a wasted life. Peter tells us about the possibility and... The pursuit of an abundant entry into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I do not want to get in by the skin of my teeth. I don't want to have whatever the opposite of an abundant entry is into the everlasting kingdom. Can you imagine we've all probably had the experience of having shame over something? Shame is, it's a really unpleasant experience. 
But can you imagine the shame that Lot would have had as he stood before the Lord? Can you imagine the shame that many have had as they've stood before the Lord, realizing that they wasted their lives because they were attracted to the world, because they were drawn into that and they couldn't just let it go? How can we avoid ending up like Lot? Well, Peter tells us in his second epistle, the first chapter, familiar verses, but let me read them. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. To virtue, knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. To brotherly kindness, love. And then he says this, For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your calling and election sure, For if you do these things, you will never stumble. You see, we're to be adding to our faith. We're not to be drifting back into the world. Something that's astounding me these days. I look around me and I see people who came to the Lord back in the 70s, like I did, and have been around for years but, but I see people drifting back into the world at this stage. And it's baffling to me. I don't understand it. You see, it's not a matter of just, I've, I've got faith and, and I'm saved. It's a matter of adding to our faith. We've got to keep adding to our faith. And Peter says, if we keep adding to our faith, we're never going to have a problem. We're not going to stumble. We're not going to be barren or unfruitful. It's when I stop adding to my faith and start dabbling back in the world again, that's essentially what happens. I get attracted back into the world. You know, I see, just be frank with you, I see guys my age, you know, I don't know what they're going through. I guess it's, Maybe a midlife crisis. I don't know. They're past midlife, so I don't know what it is. (laughs) But, you know, all of a sudden, they're trying to look like they're 25 again. And they're going out and, you know, trying to do the things that they could do when they were 25. And, you know, it doesn't work. And it looks really bad. (laughs) Just give it up. Just face the facts that... You know, it's over, and there's something better coming anyway. What are you thinking about going back there for? But you see, if we're not adding, we're probably drifting. But here's the remedy. Here's how to avoid. And this is the the lessons that we want to learn from Lot are basically lessons of what not to do. Don't do what Lot did. If you've got an attraction for the world, wake up. What are you attracted to? The world is perishing in the lust of it. 
know, the whole thing's unraveling right before our eyes. What, what's the attraction? You want to get it on the bailout or you want to get it on the bankruptcy? You know, what do you want to get in on these days? I mean, if the world was ever looking unappealing, it's right now. I don't know. What's the attraction? So we don't want to do that. If, if we've got that sort of attraction to the world, we've got to, we've got to get on our knees and say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, change my heart. If I'm starting to drift away from fellowship, I've got to stop the drift right now. I've got to get back into fellowship, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. And I don't want to be preaching to the choir here. You're all here tonight, so obviously you're not doing that. At least tonight you're not doing that. (laughs) But, you know, realistically, we need to be plugging in more to prayer and to communion with God's people so we can strengthen and build one another up. These are challenging times that we're living in. If we've compromised our witness, we need to go back and say, Lord, forgive me. And we probably need to go back to some people and say, hey, would you forgive me? I've been a bad witness. This is not what a follower of Jesus Christ ought to be doing or saying. And if I've been subjecting my family to ungodly things, I need to turn away from that and need to go home and say, okay, we've got to get our house in order here. For this very reason, giving all diligence add to your faith. If you're adding to your faith, as Peter said, you're not going to repeat the mistakes of a man like Lot. Add to your faith virtue. Virtue, the word, it's, it's talking about zeal. It's talking about passion, excitement, courageous zeal. Add a courageous zeal to your faith. And to that courageous zeal, add knowledge. Oh, do we know the Lord well enough? I feel so often, Lord, I know you so little in comparison to what I would like to or what I even feel I should. So there's plenty of room to grow in our knowledge and to the knowledge, the self-control, a, a, a life of moderation, a life that's consistent with our prof- profession, and then the perseverance to the self-control, and then the godliness and the brotherly kindness and the love. You see, if we're working on adding to our faith, if we're building ourselves up in our most holy faith, again, we're going to be safe and secure and protected from the lot syndrome. So these are the lessons from lot. Things that you don't want to do. Abraham, he's our model. He wasn't attracted to Egypt. He wasn't attracted to the plain of Jordan. He was looking for a city that has foundations whose builder and maker is God. Abraham was looking ahead. He was thinking about his family. He was thinking about the reality of a judgment to come. He's our model. Let's follow that model. For the month of November, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled 
a non-anxious presence, how a changing and complex world will create a remnant of renewed Christian leaders by Mark Sayers. Have you sensed anxiety in our culture? Have you been affected by the viral flow of anxiety sweeping through social media networks and institutions? Have you wrestled with the loss of personal comfort and stability? If you answered yes to these questions, then you have the opportunity for spiritual growth in response to God's invitation to grow with Him. In his book, A Non-Anxious Presence, Mark Sayers argues that because of the interconnectedness of the global culture, our world has shifted from being one that was complicated to one that is complex. A complicated world requires efficiency, but a complex world requires adaptability. And this is exactly what this book was designed to do, to help you learn how to adapt in our changing world for the benefit of spiritual growth. This book, A Non-Anxious Presence, How a Changing and Complex World Will Create a Remnant of Renewed Christian Leaders by Mark Sayers is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Genesis. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.